0: Hello and welcome to Banking Transformed. I'm your host, Jim Roos, owner and CEO of the Digital Banking Report and co-publisher of the financial brand. In a world impacted by COVID-19, brand recognition and authenticity have never been more important. Lack of trust in financial institutions is an ongoing challenge. At the same time, the reach of traditional channels continues to erode. This is where influencer marketing can help. With social media becoming more entrenched in people's lives, the use of influencer marketing has skyrocketed. Beyond celebrities, a new breed of niche influencer can provide financial institutions access to a huge following of potential prospects not available with other promotional methods. To understand the potential of influencer marketing on building in brand recognition and value, we are joined today by Elma Boganovich, one of the co-founding sisters of the New York agency A&E. This is a digital agency with a powerful portfolio of Fortune 500 companies such as Netflix, Wells Fargo, Procter and Gamble, and Johnson and Johnson. In this episode, we discuss how financial institutions of all sizes can benefit from influencer marketing and how you can better implement a stronger social strategy. Welcome to the show, Alma. As we approach our one-year anniversary of the Banking Transform podcast. This may be the most interesting topic we've ever covered, and and obviously one of personal interest, the power of social influence, marketing, in financial services. Could you give our listeners a short introduction into your somewhat surprising background as well as what your firm does? Sure.
1: So I'm an attorney, actually, by background. So I went to Georgetown for undergrad, then I went to UM for law school for my JD, and then I went to Georgetown Law for my LLM in Securities and Financial Regulation. I'm New York Bard. <laughs> so it was a very traditional trajectory. and um, I switched, yeah, I switched to influencer marketing. So first, um, my sister, who's also my business partner, we started as influencers. and you know, as we grew basically in our size, in our following, um, brands started approaching us and they asked us the same brands that we were doing advertising, which were by and large back then, small businesses. And they started approaching us and asking us, well, how can we continue working together? You're basically now too big for us to do advertising. So basically, completely unknowingly to us, we turned into a marketing agency when we said, yes, we will manage your social media account. We will produce content for you and essentially run influencer marketing campaigns.
0: So how long ago was that?
1: So this was when we started. It was late 2012. It was actually before Facebook pages even existed, believe it or not. Um, So we were, yeah, we were one of the first influencers out there. Instagram just started in 2010. So basically in 2012, there was no one around.
0: (laughs) And what's your, your sister's background
1: yeah, so my sister at the time, um, she's an economist. She was working on World Bank projects in Washington, D.C. So she also had a very serious background or traditional trajectory. And yeah, she was working on infrastructures and PPP projects. And yeah, this was completely outside of scope of that.
0: So what made you actually completely disrupt what was your background and what was your both your backgrounds? and decide all of a sudden that this was going to be something of importance?
1: It was basically a conversation. um, So my sister was having with some of her friends. And so at the time, there weren't very many blogs, do-it-yourself blogs. It was mostly very authoritative. So there was Vogue, there was Elle, there was Harper's Bazaar, Vanity Fair. So um, these publications that didn't really, we felt that you know, address the everyday woman, they weren't very relatable. So, you know, ordinary women couldn't spend thousands of dollars on skincare or hundreds of thousands on plastic surgery. It was just, you know, not attainable. So basically one night Amr said, you know, I'm going to put a blog together. And um, she sat up and figured out an HTML and CSS code. So we put our first blog up and she said, you look, you've been creating this content for your friends on Facebook and, you know, we went and traveled anyway. So she said, why don't you just shift all those photos you edit, you spend time on them on the blog. So we started basically playing around and then we also went to Twitter because Twitter was outside of your just friends and family and started posting this content. And it was three months into it that we had over 100,000 unique monthly visitors and we started having brands approach us. It was Rodeal, Deborah Lippmann, and Paris Hilton. She had her own, own line of purses. And her manager approached us. And this was basically when we had the conversation, well, you know, if they're willing to offer their services, there has to be basically money in this. You know, we didn't come from traditional media backgrounds, so we didn't understand the advertising model. But, you know, we said if they're willing to expend their labor and their, you know, product costs on us, you know, the next step would be monetary, basically.
0: So you obviously did not just jump from your careers to becoming influencers. It, it doesn't monetize itself that quickly. How long did it take you to go from what was then probably, in both your cases, dual careers to putting it all in?
1: Yeah, it was basically, I remember it was April 2014 is when we saw our first dollar So yeah, it was $99. And Amr was extremely excited. I didn't know why she called me. And I still remember thinking, like, what are we going to do with $99? But it was, you know, she understood better, I think, than me as an economist that if you can make $99, you know, you can make $100,000. It was just knowing That there's, you know, that there's basically compensation in it and how to do it was the main. And so, yeah, as we grew, then like now it's like one post is, you know, for influencers of our size, it ranges for 15 to 20K per post.
0: So it's interesting. So while most of our listeners probably associate influencer marketing with social icons like Beyonce, Kardashians and a variety of sports icons. Or the industries of beauty, fashion, food, fitness, um, financial institutions are beginning to leverage famous and not so famous influencers to improve their brand and value. Why do you think that transition is taking place?
1: I think it's essential because nowadays, you know, the way that millennials are making decisions and now Gen Z as well, which can be, you know, 25 year olds, um, they're getting their first, you know, cars, their credit cards and so forth is through online. So basically everyone's glued to their phones. They are, you know, glued on the internet. They're looking for reviews. It's basically this like rise of an educated online consumer. And so I think that brands didn't have a choice, but if speaking to millennials to go on platforms like Instagram, like Snapchat, like TikTok now, and to start speaking to that audience, to start, you know, speaking to them in a language that they were used to and how they grew up.
0: So, you have an increasing importance of influencers in a crowded marketplace and now we're we're seeing not just name influencers but micro influencers can you explain a little bit about that transition from what we'll say is the the big names the people that know that oh basically a spokesperson type mold that had very high social value to now a person that people connect with because of who they know and the authenticity of what they say, as opposed to simply the the brand value of the celebrity.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. So basically, what had happened along the lines is that the smaller influencers started basically the rise of you know the micro influencers. It's because people were looking for influencers who had community and regional ties, right? They didn't want to look to LA, you know, if they were based in Cleveland, if they're in Texas, if they are, you know, in North Carolina, if they're in Florida. So they wanted these basically regional influencers that were very relatable to them and to their everyday life. So basically, hence the sort of like fall of celebrity influencers, it's not that celebrity influencers still aren't listened to, they are very much listened to, but it's kind of that, as you mentioned, the authenticity of the regional, right? So what is, you know, what is the girl in Texas? Like, where does she go? How does she dress? Right? Where does she shop? Like, what local restaurants that she support? So people were increasingly more in tune and they had access to, you know, their own, if you will, local mini celebrities and community leaders, I think. So they were very much, you know, it's relatable. Like, where are you going out? Like, I want to know where are you shopping So it's, you know, how are you just every day and and inspiration, it was kind of also relatable in terms of income levels, right? There wasn't this huge disparity in income, if you're looking at, like you were saying, like, you know, Beyonce, or, you know, the Kardashians, you know, they're not flying on private jet, these more you know, regional and micro influencers, they had the everyday life that, you know, a woman would in that area. So the role grew and it grew, I think, stronger. And you could see also in terms of the engagement level for smaller influencers, actually much stronger than someone who is a macro influencer. And actually, their words may be a lot more meaningful because others are followed just because everybody else follows them. But these other influencers are followed because they truly have this like trust and community on their platforms.
0: So that's a good segue to the difference between what I'm going to call the fashion or beauty or fitness industry and the banking industry. You know, I know you have some banking clients. How does the banking industry leverage influencers when really it's not about a fashionable thing? It's not about a celebrity name, but it, how have banks or financial institutions used this type of influencer marketing to better their brand?
1: Yeah, I think it's a good question. So basically, the you know, the banking industry, like all other industries, basically jumped on board. They watched, you know, beauty industry was one of the first ones who kind of jumped on the bandwagon and really saw it works. They even now have lines that, you know, with other influencers, obviously Kylie Jenner is the most famous one, but they have Huda Beauty, Sold in Sephora, Always Bro in Sephora, Jeffree Star. So very, very popular influencer namesake brands. And so, of course, you know, marketers are watching. And so the banking industry essentially also jumped on board. And what's interesting is that they're not looking for these as, as the industry exploded, the influencer industry. There also grew different niches of influencers. So you had your travel influencer, you had your fashion, you had your beauty. And it's not that you had your banking, you had this lifestyle influencer. And you have this like young millennial mom, right? Right. So that was very, very appealing to the banking industry because all of a sudden now moms were on Instagram and, you know, these young moms and they were in tune, they had the time, they were looking, they were listening, right? So why not get in front of them? So I think the banking industry really jumped on board in terms of when it comes to family, parent and mom influencer, mom bloggers. And they started collaborating with them and working with them in all sorts of different ways. And even then the fashion industry. So, you know, American Express, for example, They're very active marketers, as everybody knows, and they jumped on influencers. They even got their, went so far to get brand ambassadors for like a year long terms. And these were these very fashionable, high-end influencers that, you know, others very much aspire to be like. So, you know, kind of your rewards points, right? So where are you traveling? How are you collecting the rewards? And different events, cool events that you are where, you know... American Express is sponsoring the event. So, yeah, they went really deep. And, of course, depending on what the goal of the campaign was and what the goal of the brand was, they you know activated influencers across different industries.
0: When you're talking about a financial institution, and, again, I'm thinking that most financial institutions go, geez, an influencer, how does it relate to what I do? And I'm not talking about a, a fashion person or a beauty person or a fitness person or a food person. How do financial institutions find the right person or people to create a strong influencer strategy?
1: Sure, that's a good question. So you have to, you know, we always advise brands and across different industries, including banking, that it really depends what your goal is, right? So is one of the goals to sign up customers for credit cards? You know, that could very well be Capital One, obviously, Citigroup. Or is the goal to, for example, with Wells Fargo or, you know, they do campaigns every, every holiday season. So for Thanksgiving to end of New Year. It's that, you know, they want to increase foot traffic in their regional branches, right? So they want to do that. And, you know, they also have a food drive. So it depends what the goal is. Then you activate different influencers. Is it like American Express? Is it for people basically worldwide to understand about their loyalty program, reward programs, right? So we always sit down and, you know, and, and some brands, you know, including banks, they may just want to get more followers on social media, for example, right? You know, is the gain to get followers? Is the gain to like cost per click to measure that? Is the goal, you know, cost per impression? So, how many, you know, people get to see, you know, your product? So it just depends. And you have to outline it each step of the way and then activate influencer because obviously for Wells Fargo and American Express, they didn't have the same goals in terms of the campaign. American Express didn't, you know, the, uh, as far as I know, they don't have local branches, but they're trying to get, you know, people to come through the door. But, you know, for Wells Fargo, that very much matters.
0: So if a financial institution, let's say, has got some measure of social media strategy already, how do they implement or what are the steps that they should go through to put together an influencer strategy? When you're working with one of the financial institutions you work with, how do you guide them to even move towards an influencer strategy overall?
1: I think it's really important that they have basically a professional who's because one of the pitfalls that we've seen companies do is that they have hire varying experience or, you know, even interns we've seen who are trying to handle their social platforms. Now, social platforms and obviously influencer marketing, you know, goes hand in hand and they've evolved so much. When we started, there was no such thing as like Instagram insights and analytics. But now it goes so deep that you get to see not only countries that your audience is based in, but cities, you get to see like what time of the day your audience is the most active, right? So it has to be really carefully done. You know, LinkedIn, you can embed links. So it just, you know, it it depends on the platform. So when we advise in terms of what influencers do you take, again, it depends on your goal. Are you trying to get um, you know, people who are signing up for, like I said, credit cards, is it, you know, they're taking out mortgages, They're first time home buyers. that's obviously also a millennial market. So what is your end goal of this campaign? Are you trying to get your also potential customers to sign up for forms? We've done that. So go to the website and fill out forms, right? And then why would they do that? So for example, there could be a huge sweepstakes, you know, there could be a really nice trip involved there. So again, it's, you know, working through those details, understanding your end goal, setting up a strategy, and then working through those details in order to obviously maximize the impact in the given amount of time.
0: So really, when you're talking about the influencer strategy, you're really talking about micro-segmentation of the audience as well, because you're not talking about an influencer that says that they're an influencer of Wells Fargo, they're an influencer towards a food driver, they're an influencer towards a local event, or they're So really, it's the same strategy you have to do in marketing overall, which is almost to the micro personalization level. Because from what you're saying, you want the influencer to have integrity without promoting necessarily the brand outright. You really want them to be like the person that's listening to it. That's a lot more authentic than simply being a paid hack, for lack of a a good term at all. That's
1: exactly right. And that's, again, like I I go back to my point of you really have to have professionals do this. And I say that, so for example, you know, within each industry, so influencers occupy different industry and they could also be something called just lifestyle industry, which is, you know, you just in general cover certain lifestyle. It could be a lifestyle that's targeted towards a target customer or Walmart customer, or it could be lifestyle that's targeted towards Louis Vuitton and Chanel, right? So you have to understand each of those industries and segments of the industry. And then you have to identify the epicenter of influence. So meaning... Who are influencers, and they may not be the influencers that have the largest amount in terms of the size of the following, but they're influencers that are truly influential in that community that other influencers pay attention to. So for example, in the fashion industry, there is, for instance, there's Brian Boy, and he doesn't have the largest following. For example, Chiara Ferragni, she's one of the largest influencers, over 20 million followers, but she follows him, right? So what he says, even though he's much smaller than her, carries weight. So when you're identifying as a company, a set of influencers to work with, you better look and know and understand and do your homework, do the research, who's the true epicenter of influence. And you may not have to, you know, spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on that particular campaign and those influencers, but it's just, you know, understanding the landscape and really kind of rolling up your sleeves and and going in deep and understanding the level of influence.
0: So when you work with a company like Wells Fargo, how does your agency find the right representation from an influencer standpoint?
1: So what we do, we obviously sit down with them and we, you know, we hash out the goals, like what is your end goal? What are you trying to ultimately do with this? So after we know that, we also ask you know who is your target demographic? Who is your person? Right, the persona. And sometimes you know there's multiple personas, right? And then after that, in terms of the search of the influencers, once we understand that, put that together, then we also have uh, we develop our own software. So we have a data of I think it's about five hundred thousand influencers, from micro influencers to macro influencers. And so we'll look through our own database. We also go through other agencies. So we as well have our own basically suppliers, if you will, vendors. So we go through other talent agencies, what they're called. And we ask them, basically, we tell them what we're looking for. Um, We describe the, the influencer, the size of the influencer, we tell them the budget, and then they come back to us with suggestions. So it just depends sometimes, you know, and sometimes influencers not represented by an agency. They may have an agent. They may not have any representation. So, yeah, it's a combination of our own software and then also, you know, knowing who to go to in terms of the agencies and, and what part of the U.S. because there's different agencies, different cities.
0: So in some instances, you're actually looking for a, an overt endorsement of a brand. And in some cases, you're almost looking for an implied endorsement where somebody's talking about a situation And just by them talking about it, people feel like, you know me, you're talking my language, you're not the bank or you're not the beauty brand, you're not the fashion brand. But as you said earlier, I want to be like you, but they never in their discussion say, oh, I'm endorsing such and such a brand. It's just on that platform then.
1: Yeah, that's right. So basically these, you know, these local influencers that we've been talking about, they've sort of become like your, what used to be like once upon a time, a radio DJ, right? So the radio DJ would um, basically endorse a product or a service. So now obviously millennials, you know, are not listening to their radio by and large. So, um, so they're listening to their, they basically tune in their influencer. And that is one of the, exactly one of the discussions we have with our clients is what format do you want to do you want to use so do you want to use the format on on instagram for example there's insta stories there's igtv there's infeed posts there's also swipe up links to track we were talking about impressions and and traffic how do you want to do it and these are the technologies that are available on you know different platforms
0: So in financial services, I know that Instagram is probably still the TikTok is up and down based on the day now, but Instagram is probably the most active platform for influencers in many ways. But in a financial institution, how do you leverage other platforms that are sometimes more viewed in the business sense, such as LinkedIn?
1: So um, we always look at, you know, there's influencers that have a better following on, on different platforms. So there's YouTubers are very, very powerful because it's video and video format. They, I think, like the largest video gaming YouTuber has, I think, 100 million subscribers. It's something completely crazy, nothing close to anyone. That anyone has on Instagram in terms of lifestyle influencers. Right. So we look at different platforms and where you know these individuals are widely followed. So most of these products are, you know, their consumer products. So even for the for financial services, you know, like I said, their credit cards, their bank accounts. So we look at, you know, where where those people, where they're essentially potential customers or current customers or ex-customers even are hanging out, so to speak, virtually, right? Where are they congregating? Where are they having these conversations? So even though the platform isn't, I think, in the traditional sense, you would think it's not a business platform, sure, like LinkedIn, But Instagram, that is where your, you know, potential customers or even current customers are hanging out. They're also watching, you know, your competitors. And as we were talking about earlier in terms of social responsibility is what are you doing now? And, you know, there are numbers that say I think it's 55 percent will actually drop the brand if they think that they are engaged in unethical behavior. And then 91 will consider the brand if they know that they're doing good deeds in their communities. So that is very much important. So it's what do you know for including the financial industry? What are you doing for your communities? Is it food drives? You know, Are you donating a percent of you know, proceeds to a COVID-impacted charity? So you know, talk to your customers, essentially, even during the pandemic. Don't go dark on them.
0: So in that whole vein of the social side of things, the social impact of things and sustainability, Do you see that being another reason why influencers are going to increase in value? Because not just the authenticity, but the whole issue of social issues, you know, are you doing good for the community to be able to bring local influencers involved in the financial institution, whatever the brand may be, to help push that? Is that like an increase since COVID because of the, the need for people to feel like their companies are doing good?
1: Yes, that's exactly right. So like most of our clients, the the switch now that has been happening in marketing is basically this cause marketing, right? So, you know, we have a telecom client and they're looking at the environmental impact. For example, we did it with Huawei. We did a campaign with them from it was basically ran from Thanksgiving and then to New Year's. About They partner basically with a California nonprofit, Rainforest Connection, and they use their recycled phones to make these guardian devices that essentially were detecting illegal logging in the Amazon rainforest. Huawei wanted basically everybody to know what the company was doing and the basically the green efforts, if you will, that they were engaged in. We also did something similar, again, related towards the environment with VF Corp. So, yes, absolutely. You have to, and Wells Fargo as well, you know, you have to communicate within your communities what you're doing for them and what you're doing, you know, what kind of social responsibility and good you're engaged in as a company.
0: You know, that's a good example. Huawei is a good example because it's a company that continuously is fighting against what I call bad press. And and so they really go out of their way to say... Let's present us in a way that people aren't used to seeing us and maybe offset some of the negatives. And, you know, while Huawei and Wells Fargo are very different organizations, Wells Fargo also is continually trying to say, we aren't the same Wells Fargo you've heard about more than we'd like to in the news. This is a good way to counter against things that have people have negative feels. And, and financial services industry by itself Does not have the highest level of trust and authenticity factor that really influencer marketing can help you break through that wall of trust.
1: That's exactly right. And it's very easy, you know, with influencers to spread the message. So what used to be once upon a time, you have to put your advertisement outdoors on a highway, maybe, and hope, you know, and pray that the right target will see it. They will, they will spot it. And I don't know, measurement was also tricky, you know, with the, with tools as every single platform is, you know, becoming more and more advanced, you're able to track that. And so you're with influencer able to disseminate a message within seconds, right? So you can, influencers, in a are their own production houses, if you will. And they are, you know, it's a very slim down effort. So you don't require, you know, a huge crew to do all of this. And, you know, obviously that's really, really, you know, it's come in hand um, during the pandemic. So they're able to, yeah, communicate very quickly with their followers and communicate with their followers that, you know, that trust them and have bought the products before that they've endorsed or services like we work with Uber Eats. So it's just, you know, there's that trust level built. And we've also had, which is very interesting to mention, we've had influencers say no to us, you know, for certain clients, because they said, you know, this simply doesn't fit. I'm not, for example, it was actually Uber Eats, but I'm based in at the time they weren't doing anything. They just launched in Hawaii. Like, you know, this doesn't make sense. Or one influencer was like, well, I'm actually, you know, just um, luxury fashion. That's my, you know, that's my niche. So it just depends, yeah.
0: So finally, how has the COVID crisis impacted what I'm going to call the industry of influencer marketing? is it made it more important, less important, stayed the same?
1: So yeah, that's a great question. So um, COVID, you know, obviously it's impacted every industry. And in terms of influencer marketing, it's been very interesting. And we even had a, a study done. Um, I think we did a study of over a thousand influencers. But the prices actually increased slightly for influencers because of the engagement and the activity I think that we found it was like the lowest it was 40 percent increase in some cases was double in viewership so that accompanied that Now with that said of course there's been a decrease in ad spend. So it's, you know, influencers are having to basically adapt what we call the stay at home economy. And I've, I've read that before, too. So basically, where you look around your house and you say, what could be, people be thinking about? What could they be doing? Um, you know, are they thinking now, like, for example, you know, and this applies to banking, like moving out of the cities and buying their, you know, first time home buyers, Right. And going to a bank and and taking out a mortgage. Um, because, you know, the city environment is no longer conducive to what they had originally signed up for. So, um, you know, is it gardening? Is it, you know, cooking? You know, what, whatever, basically, the stay-at-home economy. And so influencers have been participating that, basically, like, you know, giving ideas to their audience. And I think also, very importantly, which I didn't see as much before, they've been engaged in causes. So, for example, the World Health Organization and the CDC did the Safe Hands Challenge, and so they engaged, you know, um, even like a virtual influencers, and they're really interesting. A virtual in- influencers, they did obviously on celebrity level, Lady Gaga, but then they did also some other, you know, mega and mid-sized influencers. So you're seeing these like governmental organizations and, um, and NGOs and also the Finnish government as well engaged influencers again to encourage. And the U.S. Surgeon General said, you know, called on Kylie Jenner to tell millennials to stay at home. So, yeah, it's changing a lot. And there's, oh, there was also an influencer in Milan, Chiara. Um, She's one of the largest I mentioned. She raised three million euros with her husband, who's also an influencer for a local hospital. So it's, you know, they definitely have a lot of power. And I would just say, as I've mentioned before, you just have to understand what you're doing when you engage rather than just like go on a whim and hire a few influencers and expect some sort of miracle to occur without understanding the background.
0: Well, that shows an opportunity also that it doesn't have to be that you hire an influencer. You can endorse an influencer strategy of somebody else, like the all in challenge, for instance. You know, all these celebrities put together just amazing packages well, you could tag onto that and sponsor one of those packages or the overall endorsement, which makes it so that there's a little less risk from a standpoint of an individual influencer. But as you said, it's, it's a different version of cause marketing where, really, the value is endless, and the risk is is minimized that way too.
1: That's exactly right. Yeah, it could be like I said, you know, for fundraising, which you know we saw all of that, or just raising awareness and saying, "Hey, go shop at these brands because they're donating," either like you know, Mac was doing like 100% of its proceeds of a particular lipstick or, you know, 10% for smaller companies of their proceeds of a particular line. So yeah, it's, there's so many different ways. Or are just driving traffic to your e-commerce in order to, I don't know, sign up new credit card customers. So, yeah.
0: So I want to thank you so much for being on the show. As I said, this is a a little bit different than what we usually do, Um, usually more, sometimes more financial, but it's something that's Pretty much near and dear to my heart. I've I've somehow fallen into in in our little market of finance uh, in, as an influencer, but more to the industry than to the consumer. Thank you so much for being on the show today.
1: Thank you so much, Emma.
0: What a great interview with Elma Boganovich. I think it's interesting because when you're looking at finance institutions and influencer marketing. They really aren't running in the same path right now, but I think it's important to realize that as social media marketing is gaining an importance, especially in a post-COVID world, the ability to use influencers to build authenticity, brand recognition, and brand value is of utmost importance. And I think one element she brought into the conversation was the fact that even if you don't want to necessarily engage with an influencer directly, maybe sponsor or get involved with an influencer strategy in your community or in in an area that you believe in on a social basis now's the time thanks for listening to banking transform Raised a top five banking podcast on apple if you enjoy what we are doing please be sure to subscribe to banking transform on your favorite podcast app In addition, please take less than a minute to provide a review. It lets us know how we are doing. Finally, be sure to catch my articles on the financial brand and look for our new research on financial marketing, innovation, customer experience, and the future of work as part of the Digital Banking Report. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A big thank you to our producer, Leah Lombrake, and our audio engineer, Sean Ruhl-Hoffman. I'm your host, Jim Baroos. Until next time, Make every day a learning experience. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now.